All right, well again, so grateful to be together. Um, If you have a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Um, We have some in the back that you are welcome to have, and the scripture is going to be on the screen as well. Um, Use your table of contents if you need to navigate to Ephesians chapter 2. But we are, as Graham said, we're in week 2 of our series called Visible Community. And our prayer through this is we want our church, we want Renaissance to be a visible community. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 14, he tells his followers, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's the image that I want us to have of visible community. If you think about, you know, uh, Montreal's kind of like that. If you're coming into the city from outside of the city, like, it's just there, this big glowing thing, right? Because um, you, you don't have to go far to get into just kind of wilderness around here, right? But think, think of that picture, that as a church, that we could be a people that is visible, a visible community like a city on a hill. A church on mission, representing Jesus, shining the light of Jesus through all that we do. And so, when we look at what we're doing in this series, this series is focusing on the forming and the shaping that should be happening in the church so that the church can function on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about things that happen in the church but have a greater purpose of allowing us to be light in the world. So as we go through this, what we're hoping to see is that that we can give a biblical understanding of three specific things. Baptism, communion, and church membership. Right? And so you might be like, okay, we're talking about mission, but we're talking about these specific things. But these are the things that are the shaping and forming that allow us to live on mission. We want these things to be normal and natural for us as a church, but we also believe that they are incredibly meaningful and incredibly important to understand correctly. And so we, I want this series to help us see this natural progression from what I would say from salvation to what it means to be a member of the church. So salvation, baptism, membership, communion, seeing how these things fit together. And how they matter and they are so vital. That they're not just religious activities, but meaningful practices that are rooted in the rescuing and saving love of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2. This was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Ephesus. So read along with me. This is such an incredible and beautiful passage it just is such a clear picture of the grace and the mercy of God in saving and forming his people, the church. We'll start in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, we'll get to all that in a moment, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's take a moment and pray again and just, even just on your own personally say, God, would you speak to my heart through your word? God, we invite you into this time. God, we ask that your word would speak, that our hearts would be shaped and formed by your word. Let us listen with open hearts this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians 2. We as humans are not always known for our unity, right? All throughout history and even today, we see wars and class divisions and ethnic and racial divisions and barriers and borders and bullies. See what I did there? Three Bs, right? We like to picture a world of love and happiness and togetherness and rainbows and unicorns, right? But we all know that this is not always reality. Now, to be sure, the world is filled with a lot of good things, and God graciously gives us good gifts. But we also know the reality of broken relationships in a broken world. In the book of James here in the Bible, in chapter 4, the Bible tells us that, it says, where does all this come from? In James 4, 1, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or pleasures there, is what that word means, that your passions are at war within you? And here's what it's telling us, that the root of divisions and disunity is the selfish sin in me and the selfish sin in you. And in everybody. This is a problem in our lives, and it's a problem in the church. That in a world of division and disunity, can the church be different? In a world of division and disunity, can the church be different? The main thing that we want to see this morning through our scripture is this. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. Now, specifically this morning, we're talking about church membership. And maybe this is a new concept for you. Maybe you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Maybe you do, and maybe you've had a really good experience with this in the past. Or maybe you've had a really bad experience with church membership. I want to kind of list a few things first that church membership is not, right? Church membership is not a religious club. Like, you know, hey... Welcome, it's very exclusive, right? Um, It's not a way for the church to have power and control over people. Um, Again, it's not, it's not a, like I said, it's not an exclusive club. It's not this like club that you have to have a membership card. Like we don't have like a Renaissance gold card that gets you like extra, like no, it's not that. Like it's not like Costco, right? Or maybe like you kind of, in all these things, maybe you'd say, who really cares if I'm a member? Like I come here, I'm involved, I like it. Why do I need the label of member, right? There's a lot of background and thoughts that goes into these things. But I would encourage you this morning to listen with an open heart as we seek to look at why, from a spiritual perspective, church membership is an important and it's a natural part of following Jesus. 
And I would say, too, as a side note, like if Renaissance is your church, is your home, is where you belong, and we would love to invite you into membership if you are not already. But even if, you're not, if this church is not yours, my same encouragement to you this morning would be wherever you are, wherever you're involved, understand membership and be connected in membership to a healthy church. Well, it's not just about us this morning, right? It's about this is a natural part of following Jesus. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. Let's look at Ephesians 2. There's three things that I want us to see in this passage and how it teaches us what belonging to a church looks like. And the three things I want us to see are peace with God, peace with one another, and a visible community. Start in the beginning of the passage here in verse 11, and this passage starts pretty negative, kind of a bleak picture. Right? He says, remember, at one time you, you Gentiles in the flesh. Now, if you kind of Bible background here, there's Really, in, in Scripture, there's a couple major groups. There's the, the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and then there was kind of everybody else. And Scripture often refers to them as the Gentiles. And there was, there was division there. Like the, 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 the Jewish people were like, hey, you don't belong here. Like you don't do the things we do. And the, the Gentiles were, often had a bad reputation for worshiping other gods and doing all kinds of things. So there's, there's already division here. And that's when you get into where it's talking about the uncircumcision, what's called the circumcision. It's basically Jewish people being like, you are not worthy. You're not like us, right? You're, you're, you've not gone through, you're not marked in the way that we are marked. This, this idea of the uncircumcision was really them, was kind of a derogatory term used of Gentiles. They were, they were viewed by the Jewish people as outsiders, as pagans, and even as unclean. This verse, again, it's, it's bleak, it's negative. He says, hey, remember, he's talking to the people in Ephesus. They were Gentiles. This is important to remember. Like many of them were not Jewish people. But he's, he's telling them, he says, remember, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated, which means like cut off, separate. You were strangers to the covenant. Verse, 14, uh, verse, 14, verse 12, sorry. It says you, were having, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. It's a bleak picture. But we need to understand that. Like every single person, that's who we are. We are, this is our story, like at one time I was separated from Christ. At one time, if you have put your faith in Jesus in this room, at one time you were separated from Christ. If you're listening online or in the room this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, that is the reality. You are separated from Christ. The scripture says you're without hope and without God in the world. It's like, okay, that's pretty negative. But, but right away, right away in verse 13, we see good news, right? Come to 13 and it says, but now, and that's always such a wonderful transition of understanding like this is who you were, but now this is what Jesus has done. There's hope that through Jesus, those who were once far off, disconnected, strangers have been brought near. It says you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's, it's signifying, showing us that Jesus gave his life on the cross. And through his sacrifice, he took our place. And through Jesus, we are brought near. Now look at what God has done here. He has rescued. He has saved. He has brought them near. And this is the grace of God. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we, as humans, without hope, separated from God, what this scripture is showing us is that we can have peace with God. 
Because there's a reality that without Christ, we do not have peace with God. But through Jesus, we have peace with God. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about baptism. If you, didn't, if you weren't, then I encourage you to, to go online and listen just to have the flow of this whole series. Each week kind of connects to the others. We talked about baptism. Now, you might look at this passage here and say, I don't see baptism in this passage. And you are technically right. But here's what I want to show us. Behind the scenes, it's there. In your notes, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. In Acts chapter 18 and 19, we first encounter the people of Ephesus. And there's a guy named Apollos who was preaching in the city. And there are people in Ephesus who became followers of Jesus. Now, as time went on, there was a little misunderstanding about baptism. And Paul comes in and clarifies this for them. So I'm going to read Acts 19, verses 4 and 5. It says, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, this is where the baptism's kind of behind the scenes here. So when we come back to Ephesians 2, here's what's going on. This is the letter written to these same people. They are the church in Ephesus. They are the ones who have found peace with God and then were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is important to understand, and I said this last week, but baptism is the front door of the church. I don't mean literally, I mean metaphorically, right? Baptism is how someone goes from separated from God, they put their faith in Jesus, and baptism is the entry point into the church, to belonging to the church. It's God's good design for how you and I enter, spiritually speaking, the church. One author said this, Churches are to recognize as Christians those who have gone public with their faith. And the means that Jesus has appointed for that is baptism. So through Jesus, we have peace with God. Baptism is the, next, is the biblical next step, publicly acknowledging that you now have peace with God. And peace with God is the foundation on which the church and membership is built. All right, you tracking with me? I'm, I'm, I'm painting a picture here for us this morning of understanding. Um, again, every week of this series kind of flows back and forth into the others because they're all connected. I said last week, like, we've got to have some side notes here, is that, you know, salvation is through Christ alone, by faith alone in Jesus. There is nothing, uh, there's no works, there's no religious activity that saves us. But baptism is the biblical pattern for someone who says, I publicly acknowledge that I've put my faith in Jesus. And my belief is it's really important for you as an individual. It's that line in the sand. But it's important for the church as a community to say, we know who belongs And the means for that is baptism. We know who, as a community, we have peace with God, and we come together as the church. So, peace with God is found through Jesus. Second point is this, that we see in Ephesians 2. We have peace with one another. It's always important to remember, this passage, and honestly, the whole New Testament, is written not to an individual, but to groups of people. This is written to a community, to the community of believers, to the church in Ephesus. And verses 14 to 18 show us that there is unity through Jesus. In verse 14, it says, He himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one. Who's the both? Jew and Gentile. So people that really had not much in common have 
Jesus has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's a couple ways to, that, that as I was studying this week and looking, um, one, thing, one way to think about this dividing wall is like a metaphor for the law. Like God had given the law to the, the, the Israelite people and this was something that divided them because the Israelites had this law and everyone else did not. But it's also quite more literal. The, the, the temple in Jerusalem had an outer area called the court of the Gentiles. And Gentiles could go there, but they could not enter the temple courtyard. They were segregated from the Jews. What Paul is pointing at here is that through Christ's work of reconciliation, Gentiles are brought together with Jews through the work that Jesus has done. Verse 15, he says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. This is an incredible thing that Jesus has said, Hey, you guys have nothing in common, but in me, you are made one. That people who have nothing in common can come together under the name of Jesus, and then all of a sudden we have more in common than we ever thought we would have in common. Verse 16, you have been made one body. He says, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. This one body, we could look at that as this is all done through Jesus, but it's also a picture of this one body of the church that we are brought into one. In verse 18, Paul says, we both, meaning Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. In all of this, Paul is trying to show like, hey, I used the illustration one time if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Anybody, Lord of the Rings? Um, who is the, it, there's lots of great things in the, in the books. I say movies, you know, if you're a purist, you've got to talk about the books, right? Um, but we'll talk about the movies. But if you've seen the movies, you've got um, Legolas and Gimli. And Legolas is an elf and Gimli's a dwarf. And they're an unlikely pairing, but they come together as friends and unity under this greater mission. This is what it's like here. You've got two unlikely people coming together through Jesus. The church is a new community, a place where unity and peace can happen through Jesus, even and maybe especially through people who are different. This is one reason that understanding church membership is so important. Because church membership is not just a group of people who get along and have similar interests. If that's what church is like, I think we're missing the point. It's actually a group of people who would probably not fit together except for Jesus. This is a beautiful thing, right? Because if, if this room every Sunday and as we meet in community groups and interact throughout the week, if it's just a bunch of people who are all similar and like similar things, doing similar things together, then that's just friends hanging out. And church membership is so much deeper than that. Because it's people who never would have been together come together through Jesus. That's the rescuing and saving work that he does in our hearts. And I love that as part of this church. We are very different people. We're from a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different languages, all kinds of things. But there's unity through Christ. And that's what Paul is pointing to here. That through Jesus, in the church, we have peace with one another. In so many ways, this is our story as a church. We have unity and peace through Jesus. And it can be even more so as we see God at work in our church. And finally, what we see in Ephesians 2 we see a visible community. 
verses 19 through 22, we see the result of all this. And Paul gives this connecting phrase. He says, so then. So then what? Well, you've been made one. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It doesn't mean extraterrestrials. It means foreigners, right? But in this, this is the story of those who are in Christ, that we are formed into a new and visible community. And Paul uses three illustrations to show what this new community is like. First, he says, we are fellow citizens. He says, you're no longer strangers, foreigners. Church, membership is a way to acknowledge and affirm the gospel in our lives. Imagine it like a passport stamp, right? No one's traveled recently, but remember when we used to travel, right? So imagine if you went to another country and you had your passport and your passport expired while you were there. Well, you could go to your consulate in that country and say, hey, my passport expired. What do I do? Okay, fill this out. And then they're going to say, let's look you up. Okay, are you, are you actually who you say you are? Do you actually live in the country that you say you live in? And when they check all that out, they say yes. They stamp that passport and they say, yes, you are who you say you are. This is a little bit of what Paul's pointing to here. That you are a citizen. That you have access. That you have the right to the kingdom of God because of Jesus. And so church membership functions as the church being able to say, yeah, you're a follower of Jesus. You are who you say you are. Stamp. We see that in each other. We see the work of Jesus in us. And Paul gives us this imagery of you were foreigners, but now in Christ you are fellow citizens. Secondly, he says, the second um, illustration Paul uses, he says, you are members of the household of God. He's telling them, you're no longer outsiders. Verse 19 says, you are a member, you are a part of the family. This is really important to understand. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul writes, he says, he's writing to the people of Rome, he said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What is Paul getting at here? He's saying we are brothers and sisters adopted in. This is the spiritual reality of the church. We're not just separate things. That God has done something in our hearts where any person in this room who's a follower of Jesus, we have a connection that is deeper than we can even imagine. And it's adoption brought into the family of God through Jesus. Paul says you're members of the household of God. And then the third thing says, Paul says, it says you are a temple We are now a holy temple displaying his glory indwelled by the Spirit. That's the picture he paints here. He says you're built on Christ, Christ as the cornerstone, each member joining together in this spiritual reality. And Paul's giving us a word picture here. A cornerstone is the stone that's placed first at the corner of the building and it lines up everything and it keeps everything straight and in order. We build our lives on Christ and yet as the church we are, in in 1 Peter it says we are living stones that we are coming together building this temple, metaphorical temple that points to Jesus. 
Think about this actual building, right? It was built long ago, 1800s, I believe. And this building has a cornerstone. It has walls that are in specific places. And someone came and measured it out and did it all correctly. It's still standing today. That's good news. Someone, you know, did all the things and all the architecture and the math, right? This building has clear boundaries, And those clear boundaries of where the wall goes and where this goes and where this goes, that's what makes it obvious and visible. This building doesn't blend into the ones around it. It doesn't kind of leak onto the street. It doesn't kind of, you know, overflow over there. It has clear boundaries as a temple. That's the picture that Paul is painting here of what it means to belong to a church, what membership should do in the church. It gives clear boundaries so that anybody walking by, physically walking by this building outside, they can say, there's a church building. And in a much deeper metaphorical, metaphorical way, as people view the people of God, us, the people of Renaissance, they can say, that's a church. It's visible. It's a community of followers of Jesus. This quote's going to be on the screen. You can read along with me, but um, author and pastor, a guy named Paul Tripp, wrote this. He said, Anonymous, consumerist, isolated, independent, self-sufficient, Jesus and me Christianity is a distant and distorted image of the faith of the New Testament. You and I simply were not created or recreated in Jesus to live all by ourselves. The biblical word pictures of temple, stones joined together to be a place where God dwells, and body, each member dependent on the function of the other, decimate any idea that healthy Christianity can live outside of essential community. That's what Paul's doing here. He's giving us these images to show that the church is a visible community, that through Jesus we have peace with God peace with one another, we then become a community of people joined together in Jesus, visible to the world. That is what church membership is about. About the visibility of the church, the people of God. Just to clarify, the church is not the building, right? The church is the people of God. The visibility of the people of God has a lot to do with the church being on mission. We're going to talk a whole lot more about that next week. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. This was helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you to see why church membership matters. That it, the, First and foremost, it is a spiritual issue. I want to quickly look, as we go through this, I want to look at three implications of membership and what it means for Christians to be formed together into a visible community. All right, everybody awake, nod your head, say hi, good, wake up. All right, first implication is this, is that membership implies responsibility. Verse 19, Paul says, you are fellow citizens and saints with the saints and members of the household of God. He gives us this image. Think about a household. There are responsibilities in a household. In our house, we have chore charts on our refrigerator. And such a joyful experience every day for our kids to do their chores, right? But every home has responsibilities. And there's some things you do because they're chores. And there's some things it's like, no, we just have to do this because we all live here. Every home, every household has responsibilities. Membership implies responsibility. Think again about a family. Um, For as long as someone is in my house, right, if my kids have friends over, while they're over, 
I'm responsible for those kids. When they leave, I'm not responsible for them anymore, right? But when they're in my house, I'm responsible for them. This is an important way of understanding membership, that it functions like family, that when you are part of this church, whether you're here for years and years or whether you're here for months or a short time, maybe say, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but when you are in our church, that there is a mutual responsibility for each other. Membership implies responsibility like in a home. And then some important questions that help us see that are, When we think about membership, we can say, who is, you can ask yourself, who is responsible for me? Like it or not, we all need somebody looking out for us. And as a church, you need to be able to say, who is responsible for me? Who is encouraging me, pointing me to Jesus, correcting me? All of these things. But you also need to ask, who am I responsible for? Or who am I responsible to? Meaning that for every single one of us, you can say, hey, God has, I have gifts and talents. I have skills. I am responsible to this church. It's not just me taking in. It's me giving back. This question of responsibility is important. And as a church, we have a process. We have what's called a church membership covenant. And that simply is a way to say we both are acknowledging that we have responsibility to each other. To each other. As the pastors and elders of the church, we have a responsibility to you. And as church members, we have responsibility to each other. And accountability in that is a good thing. Membership implies responsibility, and it's a two-way street. Secondly, membership implies discipleship. Verses 21 and 22, as Paul's talking about this this structure, this temple being joined together, and he says in verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We have this imagery of growing together. And to be a Christian, track with me on this, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. It's literally like saying, Jesus, I will follow you. So to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple. These these words all flow into each other. It's what they mean. And to be a disciple is to be part of the church, which is the family of followers of Jesus. And discipleship is a primary motivator and reason for church membership, saying for you to kind of say, I willingly want to join with this church because I want to be discipled and I want to be a part of discipling other people. In Renaissance, we define discipleship as following Jesus while equipping one another to do the same. It goes back to that, that, that idea of responsibility, that we have a responsibility to, to, to each other, and it is first and foremost a spiritual responsibility to say, how am I growing in my faith, and how am I helping others do that in discipleship? Thirdly, membership implies community. Verse 22, he uses the word together, and that's this language in the whole passage, this communal. And Paul's pointing us to the, the commands of Jesus, following Jesus. All of these things are lived out in community. When you read through the New Testament and you read through the Gospels, over and over it says one another, love one another, serve one another, bear with one another. All of these things, those one another's are lived out in community, and in, the membership implies community. Let me illustrate it this way. This is fictional, right? Um, Any resemblance to actual events is unintentional, right? So this is a fictional thing. 
but just hang with me, right? I decided to, to do this a little different today. All right, so we're going to have a picture. Imagine, let's imagine someone, and we'll call her Jane, right? So Jane, this is Jane. You can wave to Jane, right? What I want us to do is I want to paint a picture of what church membership can look like. So Jane grew up in Montreal. She had a vague understanding of religion, but in general, she wasn't really interested, didn't think it had anything to do with her life. One day, she started to get to know someone from a church called Renaissance. Hey, hey, that's us, right? And they became friends. And over time, this person shared the gospel with Jane. And she responded in faith to Jesus, and her life was transformed. Very soon after that, Jane, Jane was baptized, and she became a member of Renaissance. Now, for Jane, there was so much new, but Jane was hungry to learn and grow. And week after week, she grows in her faith through discipleship and her time in God's word. Sometimes it's imperfect and clunky, but she's growing and learning. She's regularly part of the church through Sundays, through community groups, through member gatherings, and through just like spending time with people and being together. One day, as it happens, Jane and another member of the church have a misunderstanding and both feel hurt and offended. But because of her time in discipleship and in reading the Bible, she knows that she should seek reconciliation and peace. And she asks forgiveness and the relationship is quickly healed because both Jane and her friend recognize the way that God has forgiven them. Sometimes being in community with others is hard for Jane, but she's learning to be patient and loving and gracious with others. And the people in the church are learning to do the same with her because she is far from perfect as she continues to be a part of the church, she is amazed at how encouraging people in the church can be. And she's making it a point to encourage and build others up as well. Jane loves to welcome people into her life and into her home. And she is using her gifts of hospitality to make the church a friendly and welcoming community. And now, more and more of Jane's neighbors are hearing the gospel as she invites them into her home. As she gets to know people. And people around her are hearing the good news of Jesus through her gifting of hospitality. As the church is enriching her life, she generously gives her time, her talents, and her treasure in being part of the life of the church. One day, another member of the church noticed that Jane was sharing and watching some videos on social media that were teaching some things about the Bible that weren't true. So this person goes to Jane, gently and lovingly shares with Jane why these videos are not true, and Jane humbly accepts this correction. She goes to the church. When new believers are baptized, Jane rejoices and remembers how meaningful, meaningful her own baptism was. And when the church celebrates communion, Jane joyfully takes communion, knowing that it symbolizes and reminds the whole church of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Every day, Jane is grateful for God's salvation and for the church family that God has placed her in. I don't know that I'm going to win any writing awards for this story. That's okay. But here's what I want us to see. Membership implies community. We see in Jane's story, all of this, all of this happens in community. And I hope that that's a snapshot of what this church is and can be and what membership can look like. Did you see some of those components? She's learning to use her gifts. 
She's learning to seek peace and reconciliation when relationships get broken. She's learning to accept correction and people in the church are helping her and guiding her. She's growing. She's learning. She's responsible to the church and the church is responsible to her. All of this happens in community. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. As we close this morning, I'll say again, church membership is not about exclusivity. It's not about a religious club, club that says we can be in and you can be out. No, it's about the grace and the mercy of God inviting anyone in to be a part of his family, his new community. And it happens first through putting your faith in Jesus. And this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, you are invited in. Because the only prerequisite for church membership is salvation. And baptism that brings you into the life of the church. It is not, okay, if you do this, if you live this way, act this way, do all these things. Have you put your faith in Jesus? That is the question. And the invitation is to every single one of us. So we think about the gospel. How do we have peace with God? It's through Jesus. We have this imagery of adoption. And think about that again. We are, through Jesus, anyone can be adopted in to the family of God. It's easy and common to say, oh, we're all God's children, and it's not true. We're all God's children in the sense that everyone's created by God. But what Paul talks about when we read about adoption, unless we come to God through Jesus, we are not sons and daughters of God. We are not part of the family of God. Because my reality and your reality is that before Christ, every single one of us is separated from God because of our sin. We are without hope. We are strangers to God. But God in his grace sent his son Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he died to take our place because we deserve the judgment of God. We deserve to remain separated from God, but Jesus in his grace died in our place. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus and says, Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life, and I go to God through Jesus, through what you have done. My faith is in you. We put our faith in him and we turn away from our sin. We are rescued out of our sin. We are cleansed and made new. We have peace with God. We are saved by the work of Jesus, not by anything that we do, because there's nothing and no amount of good works we could ever do to save us. We're adopted in. We become sons and daughters of God. If this is your story this morning, if that is true in your heart, then just take a moment to reflect and rejoice and remember the saving work of Jesus the good news of the gospel that encourages our hearts and reminds us that, man, I'm a mess, but God has rescued me out of my sin. And Maybe this morning, whether you're here in the room or watching online, maybe you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. This can be your story. Your sin can be forgiven. You can, know, you can live no longer separated from Christ, from God, but in relationship with him. If you're a follower of Jesus, like I said, this is your story. And the church and membership is meaningful because you have been adopted into the family of God.
Let this enrich the way that you view this church and the people in it. We're not just a group of people that come together. We are sons and daughters, a family adopted in. Through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community. I'm going to invite Annabelle and Annie to come up and lead us in worship this morning as we begin to close. But I would ask again, how do you need to respond this morning? Do you need to put your faith in Jesus? If God is working in your heart, if you have questions, reach out to us. We would love to walk you through that. Maybe, again, maybe you would say, I need to be baptized. I, mean, I need to make that step of making my faith in Jesus public. We would love to talk to you. Maybe you want to know more about membership at Renaissance and, and how we kind of walk through the steps of that. We would love to talk with you about that. We have some books. Actually, they're gone. I ordered more. They should be here next week. But we have some books that we can give you next week that talk more about church membership as well. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion together. And even throughout the week, we can be preparing our hearts for that. If we need to seek reconciliation with someone, if we need to forgive someone, we do that this week. Maybe you need to truly be in community. You need to be connected, involved, praying for others, sharing your gifts. And in all this, if you have questions, practical questions about church membership and how all this connects, like, please talk to us. We'd love to answer those as best as we can. In all of this, we are reminded this morning of the work of Jesus, that through Jesus, the church becomes a visible and unified community that points to the glory of God in all that we do. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your mercy in our lives. We're thankful for the way that you love us and care for us. We thank you for the reality that through Jesus we can be adopted in as sons and daughters of God. God, let us feel this reality in our lives. Let let us know that deeply in our hearts. Let us remember this morning the work that Jesus has done. 